am Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. A small town girl at heart, Kelly Siskin moved from the city to enjoy the charm of Northern Ontario. When she's not out hiking with her husband or home devouring books, you can find her, notepad in hand, scribbling down one of the many plot bunnies bouncing around her head. Her novel's been published internationally, and her latest book is The Knockout Rule. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Kelly, you've published both as a traditional and self-published author. Which came first, and how did you arrive in a place where you can do both? I started by traditionally publishing. I wanted to go that route of getting an agent and getting a book deal. I think more of not understanding self-publishing and fear of self-publishing and not being able to do it properly more than anything else, not being confident in my ability to do it. Not that it's easy going the traditional route, but I just didn't feel capable of going the other direction. So it was my third book that I wrote. And the thing that gave me the biggest boost was getting into Pitch Wars, which is that writing contest online. I tried to get in the year before and didn't get in. I wrote another book, my third book. I got in with that book. The wonderful Brighton Walsh mentored me and taught me a lot about writing because I've just learned to write while writing. I'm not some English major at school. I never dreamed of being a writer. I've just always been an obsessive reader. And it was a hobby that turned it into obsession as it does. And so through that book and the work I did with her, I eventually landed my first agent and got a book deal with that book as well. What did you do before you decided to become a writer? Well, I still am not a full-time writer. I have had many reincarnations in my life. I started off my adulthood as a chef. I then became a high school art teacher, did that for a little bit. Then my husband and I moved out of the city, Toronto, moved a couple hours north, and we opened a fine cheese and gourmet food shop, which is the job I still currently have as a day job. I need to get your contact information because I love (laughs) stuff like that for gifts. Actually, can you tell us the name of the shop? Sure. It's called Dags and Willow. And you said it's in where? Collingwood, Ontario. There's your holiday gifts. There you <laughs> you go. guys ship, right? Yeah. Sign awesome. books are there as well. So how does the yes. indie side work with your agent? So I moved on at a certain point in my career. I left my first agent and I ended up signing with a separate agent about a year after that. The agent I ended up signing with actually, the way they started originally was to represent indie authors and focus on foreign rights. So they've been a big boost for me. I've had books in Poland and Germany through them, which has been great through publishers, not just self-published books that are out there. Um, So that's been a wonderful boost for me. And they helped me with my audio rights and that kind of thing as well. I did, however, after I self-published two series, a total of seven books, I wanted to try traditional publishing again. And so the new agent, well, new-ish, she's been working almost a couple of years, I think, probably with the agency. She's wonderful. And she focuses on domestic submissions. And so after six months on submission, we finally just signed a contract. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. You. Tell us about your new book, The Knockout Rule. Knockout Rule is fun. It's kind of a Cyrano de Bergerac-inspired mistaken identity romance where the hero and the heroine clash because her father used to be a world champion boxer and she hates boxing because of it. She hated growing up, watching him get hurt. 
And she's a physiotherapist now. And she sort of is guilted by her father to come help her with a match. And she has to treat his top boxer who she thinks she hates, but he ends up kind of wooing her through his manager. So she's falling in love with him, not realizing it's him. So it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, how did you get into romance? I kind of fell into it. I was not a big romance reader when I was younger at all. And somebody gave me a romance book. I don't even remember which one it was that started off. And I think the cover didn't look like a romance novel. And I really liked it. And I was like, oh, there's something to this. And I think at different times in your life, you gravitate towards different things. And I think as I got older and life got more stressful, I wanted more of an escape in my reading. The excitement and that novelty of feeling all that stuff that you feel when you read romance you know, the belly flops and your heart squeezes. And I wanted that in my life. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to write it. It's a wonderful thing to be able to read it. It's a wonderful gift for me to give to readers. It sounds like the knockout rule and the books that are in that group could be considered rom-com. Are all your books like that? I straddle between straight contemporary romance and rom-com. Even in a series, some books will be more rom-com. Some will be a little bit more contemporary. I always have humor in my voice. So you're always going to see that banter sneaking in, even if it's a heavier book. But I do sometimes touch on heavier subject matters in my books. So it's not the same across the board, for sure. And that series, the New Orleans Rush, the Showman series, is a quirkier series in some respects versus my One Wild Wish series and the Over the Top series is a little more straightforward what you would expect for a contemporary romance. I noticed the books in the Showman series are also marketed as standalones. Can you help newbie writers understand the differences between these and series-based novels? Sure. Most of my other romances, except for my very first novel, which is a complete standalone, and that's Chasing Crazy. It's a new adult romance. The other two series that I have written, one traditional and one self-published, they are companion books. And that means you have a group of friends and each person in the group gets their own romance. Time is moving forward and all of those characters revisit in the subsequent book. So you get to re-see the characters you fell in love with in the first book. They'll appear in the second and the third book, etc. For the Showman series, I went a bit of a different route. There are slight connections, little Easter eggs that I leave in each of the books, linking them all together. And two of the books, Don't Go Stealing My Heart and The Beat Match, kind of lead more specifically into each other. The Showman series, what I've done is a little bit different. So the books link subtly. I've got Easter eggs in each of the books so that little nugget that each reader can find that links them together And then Don't Go Stealing My Heart, the second book, links more firmly into the beat match, but it isn't the same idea of the same group, the same small town, or what a lot of writers do in that respect. So it's not as cohesive as some other series. You said Chasing Crazy was a new adult. You know, we've heard about new adult is here to stay. It's gone. It's back. Where do you find new adult right now? New Adult does great for self-publishing. It's always been an issue for traditional publishing because traditional publishing is all about having a very neat slot on a bookshelf. So unless they say this is where it's going to go on a bookshelf, it's hard enough to find a romance shelf in many bookstores. But New Adult in particular, they have trouble slotting it in with the adult romance. And so it's almost like it's a gray area that's hard for people to market. And for traditional publishing, it all comes down to marketing dollars and cents. In a nutshell, what does your idea to manuscript process look like? I start with a series concept, which is what I did with this particular project. And then for a first book, I always write the book blurb first. 
So I want to make sure it looks like it's a fun, interesting concept. It looks like there's enough tension, enough stakes. And that's just what you would read on the back of a book cover. Then I do flesh that out into a synopsis. So I want to write down all the major turns that are going to happen so that I see, again, that there's enough on the page that I can move forward into a book. I am still a plotter, but I used to plot more heavily than I do now. Usually do a chapter by chapter breakdown, and it can just be as little as one sentence. What is the purpose of this chapter? How does it forward the plot or the internal development of the characters? These days, instead of plotting the entire book, I thought about three quarters and I sort of see how it's going and how I want it to land. Sometimes the characters take me in different directions. And then as I get closer to the end of what I've plotted, I will stop, step back and say, okay, how is the back end of this going to finish strongly? And then once it's finished, I work with two to three critique partners where I send them my work. And these are people who for you know many years, we swap work and we are harsh. We're not nice about it. And I don't want nice. That's not why I'm swapping with them. <laughs> and tell me pacing issues, character issues, bad word choices, things like that. <laughs> and I do one round of revisions. I usually do that again. I usually do my own line edits after that, looking for repetitive phrases, things like that. So I try to clean up my own work. And that point, I might be self-publishing it in a traditional publishing case. I'm now going to go through that again when my editor at the publishing house gives me my work. So I like revising. <laughs> I enjoy revising too, because it's like, once you have something, it's like you could do anything with it. Once you yeah. have it done, you've completed yeah. it. But it's that messy middle that always snags me. Boy. <laughs> you've written a lot of books. So how do you prevent one main character from sounding like another? I think the key to character development and keeping them unique is backstory and developing who they are. And well, it's what has shaped them as people and what do they do in their life? How do they see the world? That could be job related. You know, if somebody's a baker, then maybe a lot of the way they see things are going to relate to food and stuff like that. And so you can start drawing on the specifics of the character to give them more of a defined voice. And now for a quick message. In 2021, most of our brick-and-mortar bookstores survived, but it wasn't without their share of losses. Let's show our bookstores some love by joining the hashtag 22 in 22 campaign hosted by Zibby Books and launched on Small Business Saturday to encourage people to visit bookstores 22 times in 2022. It is already motivating people to start visiting. Commit to the 22 and 22 challenge yourself. When you visit Zibby's site and click I'm in, you're pledging 22 in-person visits to bookstores. It can even be the same bookstore. In doing so, you're pledging your support to businesses that contribute so much to our communities. While you're at it, log your progress with Zibby's checklist. And for fun, she's created a series of virtual awards. Visit 22and22.net and learn how you can receive a chance to win a $500 book shopping spree. 22 and 22 is the perfect way to support small businesses, books, and authors. Which store do I visit? Why Watermark Books in Wichita, Kansas. Besides their huge selection of books, Watermark is my go-to spot when I'm looking for the perfect gift. They have everything from moleskin journals to the funniest greeting cards around. I'd love to hear about your favorite spot too. Tell me where you like to go so I can shamelessly plug your favorites. Shoot me an email at writingtablepodcast at gmail.com. And together, let's make 22 in 22 a huge success. Now back to the writing table. You participate as a Pitchworth mentor. Yes. So how do you approach mentoring authors? I'm obviously reading the whole work to begin with, with Pitchworth, and I'm trying to see where the weaknesses lie. I do get my mentee to do a beat sheet to try to work through some of the pacing issues before she tackles her revisions. And I say her because I am working with a woman right now. 
And I also do give my own suggestions about you could do this, you could do this to fix this section, this character, this motivation isn't working, you could do this. When I give suggestions to people, it is not, I expect you to take my opinion. I like to give suggestions to give something concrete to hook onto, and they're either going to like it or they're not. And if they're not, it might give them a push to come up with a better idea of their own to push things in that direction. So it's gentle guidance and, you know, giving them some foundation. What is something special readers will always get when they read one of your books? I think they will always get lots of fun banter. I write gamma heroes. We talk about beta boys and alpha boys. I write somewhere in the middle. I write men who have a sensitive center, men who aren't going to be over the top alpha. They know what they want in the bedroom in particular, but (laughs) I have a softness to my men that I think is something that women crave and want these days in particular with a lot of what we see going on in the world. I think you've just coined a term, the Gamma Boys. Now I'm waiting for you to come out with a series called the Gamma Boys, (laughs) Gamma Men. (laughs) Uh, What is next for you? So next is I have this new series that is going to be coming out next year. And I'm not going to say much about it until it's announced. What I can say was super fun for me that was different is they're all written from the all-male point of view. And it's five brothers. And so they're sort of fun and a little bit neurotic. Well, the first guy's a little bit neurotic. Um, <laughs> and yeah, a little bit damaged heroes and small town centric. So there's a bit of that quirkiness and a nice subplot that ties it all together. That was really challenging and interesting to come up with. So I'm super excited to announce it when I'm allowed. <laughs> Very interesting. What are you reading now? An advanced copy of Meredith Shores as seen on TV, which is super wonderful so far. It's sort of got the, all the holiday themes of sort of Hallmark movie-esque small town. And I'm just at the beginning, but it's wonderful so far. Sounds fun. You know, we talk a lot about how we lean on our fellow writers to get us through the best and worst of times. Yes. Have you found this to be true? hundred percent. Yeah. Because the muggles in the real world do not understand what we go through. <laughs> it's a challenge on a lot of levels. We obsess over things that, you know, our partners are going to start rolling their eyes at or do start rolling their their eyes at at a certain point. One of the unfortunate parts about writing is our self-worth gets tied into what we do, even though it, it shouldn't, it's not healthy to do that. And whether, you know, you get rejections here or there or the bad reviews or this or that, you can't take it personal, but sometimes you do. And other writers are the ones who are going to pick you up when that happens more than anybody else. I ask all our guests this question. In your view, what is good writing? Good writing for me is people who can develop a character deeply. That encompasses voice, that encompasses a well-roundedness, which means backstories develop. So at the end of the day, we all know a romance ends with it's happily ever after. There's no surprise about where the story is going. Same with so many other genres. But if you can have me so invested in these characters, I mean, you can't speak that. That's good writing. But you also do some editing too. So tell us about what kind of editing you do. Yeah, I focus on content editing. I'm not a copy editor, so I'm not specifically editing grammar, although I give people tips and stuff on that while I'm going through their work. And yeah, I've got different options on my website for how deep of an edit people want. Obviously, the deeper, the more it costs because it takes a lot more time. I've been hired because A, people just haven't gotten where they want to on their own. Sometimes people don't find critique partners where they swap work because they don't have time to do the work for someone else and they just want someone to do the work for them. 
So that's sometimes why I've been hired, but I do have some repeat clients who they are where they want to be, but they still are used to having me to bounce their ideas with and to do that sort of thing. So we work well together. You agree to take on a project and someone submits their manuscript. How does it work going forward? Well, they submit the manuscript. They would only do that once I told them when I am free and that can work with them or not work with them. And edits will take anywhere from one week to a month, depending on how intensive the edit is. This is good information for our newbies. What is the best writing advice you've received? And I think the best advice I have received isn't so much necessarily writing specific, but it's just about finding your people your community as a writer, because you really do rely on those people throughout this journey, because at no stage of the writing journey, no matter how established people seem, there's no stage where it's without its pitfalls and its roller coasters. So I think expect it to be hard, never expect it to be easy and learn to roll with the punches. Awesome. That's great advice. Well, thank you, Kelly, for taking the time to jump in at the writing table. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Well, and your book, The Knockout Rule, is out now? It sure is. Yep. It's wide on all services and it's a blast to read. So it'd be great if you picked it up. To learn more, visit kellysiskind.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.